Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Thank you all for coming. My name is uh, Paul Coyer. I'm a research professor here at the Institute of World Politics. I'm joined uh, by my colleague Frank Marlow here as an academic dean. Uh, if any of you have questions about IWP, Frank is the person to ask. Many people come here and assume that we're a think tank. We do think here. We are not a think tank. We're a graduate school for national security and foreign policy. And Frank is one of the people responsible for kind of running that. So if you want to ask questions specifically of Frank, uh, you should do that after, this, after the, uh, our event. Uh, we're very pleased to have with us and privileged to have with us the Philippine ambassador today. Uh, I know that you are all here because you already recognize how important the bilateral relationship is between the Philippines and the United States. Um, it is uh, one of, uh, on, from both sides, one of our most important strategic alliances, one of our most important economic relationships, um, military relationships, political relationships, and most importantly, we have generations and generations of, uh, of interpersonal ties uh, that undergird the whole relationship. So uh, <clears throat> now we're facing a time in the early 20, 21st century where uh, the geopolitics of the Indo-Pacific are in rapid flux, and uh, so we're here to hear about uh, the, the changing environment and the bilateral relationship from uh, the ambassador who uh, arrived here in the summer 2017, I believe was credentialed in November 2017, so it's been official just over two years. Uh, we're very glad to have him here. His nickname is Babe. I haven't asked him if that's because uh, he's a baseball fan or, or what. Um, I know uh, um, we spent some time together and uh, he is uh, an, amazing, an amazing individual. Uh, I'll read briefly from his bio. If I read it all, we'd be here the whole 40 minutes because he's quite an accomplished individual. He um, is, uh, <clears throat> is also the Philippines Emissary to the Commonwealth of Jamaica, the Republic of Haiti, the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, Antigua and Barbuda, uh, et cetera, et cetera, basically the whole Caribbean, it looks like. Um, prior to his appointment here, he was designated a special envoy of the Philippine president to the United States, so he has a lot of experience. Uh, as a liaison with Washington, D.C. He served as a member of several Philippine business delegations visiting the United States, China, Japan, and New Zealand between 1989 and 2012. Uh, has extensive experience as a media practitioner and a business executive, so he understands the economics of the region and of the relationship, understands messaging, clearly, because of his business background. Um, and I, I could read the rest of his titles, but like I said, there are many. One of the ones that impressed me the most was Vice President of the Rotary Club of Manila. Uh, my father-in-law from Venezuela was president of the Rotary Club down there, and uh, that's near and dear to my heart. Um, he writes columns for the Philippine Star and uh, was born and raised in Manila. Um, and uh, we are very privileged to have him. So please join me in welcoming the ambassador. Introduction. Well, if you want me to explain why I was called Babe, as my nickname. It's a long story. Actually, it's very short. Uh, Babe Ruth, exactly. Um, he was actually in Manila, uh, around the time when I was born, not too long ago. Uh, 
So my mother decided to nickname me Babe after Babe Ruth. So, but I, and I like baseball. Anyway, uh, I'd like to thank also Dean Frank Marlow, uh, and thank you all for being here this afternoon. And thank you to the Institute of World Politics for organizing this event and for inviting me to speak about my country, our relationship with the United States, and how this relationship plays into the realities and dynamics of our region and in the, the Indo-Pacific. There is no doubt about the depth and strength of this friendship between our two countries, which has been in existence for over seven decades. I myself know the kind of connection that the Philippines has with the United States. In fact, our family has a very strong history with this country. My grandfather, Miguel, was appointed mayor of Manila by U.S. Governor General Leonard Wood in 1924. I have two uncles who became ambassador to the United States. One was the brother of my father, who was posted here from 1971 to 1982, while the other uncle was appointed later on. I also finished my high school in New York and lived in the United States for many years, both here and in the West Coast. This type of connection and relationship with the United States is not uncommon among many Filipinos. In fact, President Duterte himself disclosed that Mrs. Elizabeth Duterte is a descendant of a Jewish American named Zimmerman. In fact, Mrs. Duterte was my guest for dinner at the embassy residence not too long ago, and she told me that she had researched her family roots. Apparently, they were one of the Zimmermans who were in the records of the Ellis Island uh, records where they first landed in the 1900s. I can probably say that Filipino-Americans estimated about 4.3 million Filipinos or Filipino-Americans are well appreciated all over the United States and in the communities where they live and work. The deep people-to-people -people ties that have grown stronger over the years make the relationship between the United States and the Philippines truly special. Now, what is the state of the Philippines-United States alliance? At the beginning of his term, President Duterte set into motion his plan to pursue an independent foreign policy that will not make us too dependent on one country, specifically the United States. I am certain that the Trump administration appreciates the fact that we do not want to be totally dependent on this country for everything and anything, not only for our own interest, but more importantly for our mutual alliance. Surely, we all agree that it will not be productive for any nation to be totally dependent on another, especially on the economic aspect. While we continue to work towards nurturing and strengthening our long-standing partnerships with traditional allies led by the United States, the Philippines also manages friendships with other countries in order for us to be able to fully explore our potential for economic development and uphold our national interest. One of these countries, of course, is China, which in spite of some issues such as the disputed territories in the South China Sea, continues to engage with us. Let me emphasize that the Philippines values its strategic alliance with the United States, as evidenced during the eighth bilateral strategic dialogue that we had last July, affirming that our alliance remains comprehensive, robust, and deeply intertwined. Our nations share a collective 
commitment to strengthen the alliance on the basis of common objectives and mutual interest. We value the collaborative work we do in maritime security, surveillance, and interdiction. Our military-to-military -military exercises have actually increased under the current U.S. and Philippine administrations. President Duterte himself admits that our military alliance is very strong because he knows that many of our own officers were trained here in the United States. Even our military manuals are patterned after the United States. Our mutual defense treaty, which has been in effect for almost seven decades, remains a hallmark of our ties. In the visit to Manila last year, Secretary Pompeo affirmed the U.S. commitment to the MDT to secure the alliance and assured us, saying, we have your backs. The Philippines' commitment to the MDT is reinforced through our sustained efforts to modernize the armed forces of the Philippines, and we welcome the openness of the United States to discuss the MDT for a clearer interpretation of the key provisions, while making it more responsive to the current and shared security requirements. Counterterrorism is another area of robust engagement. We acknowledge the vital support in the liberation of Marawi City from local ISIS-affiliated groups in 2017 that demonstrated just how far-reaching and extensive the ISIS influence was then. Marawi was a hard lesson, but we gained valuable experience and strengthened our cooperation with the United States in terms of intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. I see our cooperation continuing given the pervasive threat of terrorism in a region and beyond. Last August, the Philippine National Police signed an MUU or MOU with the United States Embassy in Manila for the construction of a regional counter-terrorism training center for the elite law enforcement units and personnel from the Philippines and regional partner nations like Indonesia and Malaysia. Marawi also proved that the dangerous nexus between the illegal drugs trade and terrorism. The United States, through its International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Program, has been supportive of our initiative to enhance the institutional and operational capabilities of our law enforcement authorities and strengthen the capability of the justice sector in effectively investigating and persecuting crimes. Last year, the Philippines retained its Tier 1 ranking on the Trafficking in Persons Report for the fourth consecutive year. This revalidated the effectiveness of our victim-centered and multi-agency approaches, and we will continue making improvements to stay on Tier 1. Needless to say, we are pleased of the State Department's recognition of our government efforts to combat human trafficking, and we value U.S. report or U.S. support for it. President Duterte's administration has accentuated the Philippine government's resolve to provide Filipinos a safe, secure, and comfortable living environment. To this end, the legal drugs trade, criminality, and corruption in government will continue to be the key focus areas. Now let me focus on the ASEAN and the Indo-Pacific. Let me point out that there is still great uncertainty hovering over our part of the world today. The seemingly unbridled or great power competition between the United States and China threatens to derail the drivers of regional and global economic growth, and upon which millions and millions of people depend on for their livelihoods. 
Many have called this the great power rivalry. And the ongoing trade war, which uh, recently, of course, has been sort of like dissipated by the first uh, part of the program, but we hope that this will continue, that this trade war will soon end. The question now is whether the United States and China still see for themselves no other choice but to go down a path of zero-sum or zero-sum competition. There is, however, always the option of strategic restraint, and there are many benefits to an open and rules-based regional architecture to curtail one's incessant drive to prevail upon another. In talking about the U.S. and China being at the, at the end, and, and I quote coming from uh, Dr. Henry Kissinger, that we are now at the foothills of a Cold War. He especially commented that important that a period of initiative tension or relative tension be followed by explicit effort to understand what the political causes are and a commitment for both sides to try to overcome those. It is in this environment or heightened competition between the United States and China we need to recognize the inherent value of ASEAN centrality in our region's affairs which can build confidence, deepen integration, and foster unity among ourselves and hopefully among our dialogue partners as well as the United States and China included. During the recent ASEAN summit, President Duterte said, and I quote, ASEAN must therefore remain united. We must lead the way in building trust and confidence among all our stakeholders, and we must use all the influence we have individually and collectively to persuade parties to exercise self-restraint and avoid actions that may further complicate the situation. ASEAN has also adopted an outlook on the Indo-Pacific that emphasized the need to view the Asia-Pacific and Indian regions not as contiguous territorial spaces, but as a closely integrated and interconnected region with ASEAN continuing to play a central strategic role in the Indo-Pacific affairs. The outlook defined the Indo-Pacific as a region not of rivalry, but of dialogue, cooperation, development, and prosperity, and it highlighted the importance of the maritime domain while laying down possible general streams for cooperation, namely maritime, economic, sustainable development, and connectivity. The Philippines fully supports these principles and ideals. Because of this, we strive to abide by the dictum friend to all and enemy to none. This being the case, I must emphasize that the Philippines' position on the South China Sea is clear. We want to solve this problem peacefully and in accordance with international law. We remain optimistic that the best path is still one of diplomacy that enables negotiations and possible compromises. We believe in the merit of finishing negotiations on the Code of Conduct, and we appeal to all the parties to support this process, rather than seek erode or to erode trust and confidence, to exercise self-restraint and cooperation to prevent tensions from further escalating. While China has consistently rejected the arbitrary ruling that decided against its actions, no less than President Duterte has conveyed to President Xi in no uncertain terms, that the arbitrary ruling is final, binding, and not subject to appeal, and that the Philippines also counts on China's own self-restraint and cooperation not to further raise tensions 
in the South China Sea. The reality now is that world peace is still uncertain because of, because of volatile situations all over the world, not only with regard to the South China Sea, but also the developments regarding North Korea and Iran. Considering that the United States is at the forefront of these uh, situations, we hope that U.S. legislators will see the big picture and focus more on critical issues knowing that the world is facing still a lot of uncertainty. What are the opportunities and challenges we face today between our two countries? Like in all relationships, there are opportunities and challenges in the alliance between our two nations. We believe in the same values of freedom and liberty that you uphold, and we adhere to the same kind of system where democracy is paramount. Our countries share a rich and deep history, and economic cooperation is robust. The U.S. is the Philippines' third major trading partner, and the trade relationship is a balanced one. And looking forward, a free trade agreement between our two countries should clearly be important to consider and get things or get done on both sides. We should make the most out of our economic complementaries, such as the synergy between the Philippines, the Build, Build, Build program that we have in the Philippines, and the rolling out of the U.S. projects under the Build Act, the Asia Reassurance Initiative Act, and the Indo-Pacific Region Strategy. I would say this is the big picture of our relationship with this alliance, strengthening our collective ability to better respond to emerging and evolving threats, whether these be security-related, economic, societal, or environmental, both at the regional and global levels. Sadly, despite our best efforts to highlight the critical importance of the big picture, think or thinking in the big picture in furthering alliance some U.S. legislators continue to hurt or hurl accusations against the Philippines on issues, on issues such as alleged human rights violations and unfair conclusions that the incarceration of certain personalities in the Philippines is wrongful. Instead of conjecture, we are hopeful that the U.S. legislators will focus more on capacity-building measures to help the Philippines improve our justice system, as in the case of other nations. We follow due process, and trials are fair and conducted in an open and transparent manner. Thus, we implore all countries to respect our laws and our processes just as we respect theirs. Clearly, we're no longer a colony of the United States, and we should be treated as a sovereign nation, an equal partner with unique domestic issues that we must resolve on our own. Countries are like people. Relationships between them need to be nurtured and cultivated. Respect is essential, or without it, it would be difficult, if not impossible, to overcome our differences. The Philippines and the United States are longtime friends and allies, and the Philippines comes into this friendship as an independent and sovereign state that stands in parity with all the other states. We desire continuous participation in what the United States has to offer and are hopeful that cooperation will always be the viable option, even when there are disagreements. To this end, we can assure our American friends that we will continue to seek avenues of dialogue and continue to engage with the U.S. legislators, government officials, business leaders, and all the stakeholders in strengthening our friendship 
and cooperation with the United States. And I can say that we are ready to do that even today. Thank you and good day. We have some time for questions, and I'm assuming in this crowd there are quite a few. So, Ambassador, if you want to choose, you can just choose whoever. We can start with you right down here. Okay. You can stand and identify yourself. Please give your name, your affiliation. And, and we have a microphone that's going around as well. Thank you very much, Mr. Ambassador. I am a third or fourth generation uh, proponent of close U.S.-Philippine relations. I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Philippines from 1962 to 64. So I have followed the bilateral relationship as closely as possible, although I've been involved in other matters concerning U.S. foreign policy. My question to you is, yes, there are generations uh, on both sides of the bilateral relationship. Where in the United States, and in, in your presentation, you mentioned the legislative branch several times. Where in the United States are the strong points of, of the Philippines who want that close and, and uh, orderly relationship with, with the Philippines. Um, California, Chicago, wherever. But presumably there are important political proponents of this relationship. And I'd like to know where and how and who on the Hill are your major supporters. Well, I think we, we do have quite a number of friends in the Hill. Uh, foremost, one of them is uh, Senator Don Sullivan, for instance, from Arizona, and um, Senator Cory Gardner from Colorado, both of them, uh, especially Senator Cory Gardner, who was in the Philippines not too long ago. Uh, these are the people who probably, uh, I would say, uh, understand um, the culture in the Philippines. They have Filipino communities, Filipino-American communities in their areas. And, and they know that uh, the friendship, the people-to-people -people ties that we have with this country is very strong. And, uh, and, and, and that is our strength, actually, is the fact that we have a lot of Filipino-Americans who live all over the United States, in California, the largest one, of course. And, and they're, they're appreciated by the communities. And, and, and we continue to see that as our, the strength of our relationship right now. Uh, and of course, our relationship with the military, the, our military alliance is very close. We have a very tight relationship. We do training on both sides. We have a, the enhanced defense uh, uh, agreement that we have, a regular uh, exercises that we have uh, done in the Philippines. All of these are, are, are continuing efforts to, to make our relationship very tight and, um, and strong. Yes, sir. I'm a Peter Humphrey, an intelligence analyst and a former diplomat. Um, you get word that 40 ships full of concrete and, and mechanical uh, building devices are headed toward uh, Scarborough Shoal from Hainan Island. They arrive in about two and a half days. What are you going to do? Well, uh, that's a piece of intelligence that I hope that our intelligence people are already aware of. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, and I assume that they've shared that uh, with us. So, well, uh, that's something that I, I, the only thing I can say is that we, we, we have um, continuous um, 
meetings and dialogues with, with the Chinese uh, government. Uh, there is, in fact, a, um, a core group that uh, has a mechanism where we, we, instead of a diplomatic protest, we can just simply talk about it and say and ask, what is this thing all about? There are many of these things that happen on a regular basis, actually. And uh, hopefully this, this particular uh, uh, thing that you were mentioning is already uh, in and the plate for discussion and why they're doing this. But we all know that uh, they, they've been building uh, so many things in that area. And, and just to give you a background, um, again, this is, I'm, there's no blame to pass around, but uh, if you remember not too long ago, uh, the United States actually um, said that we do not get involved in territorial disputes. And then there was one, um, government official who dismissed uh, those reefs and just rocks. Well, those rocks are now military bases or military installations uh, have been placed there. So these are the things that the reality that we face today and, and, and um, there's not much that one can do uh, except to really just simply talk and the only alternative is obviously uh, not a very good one. Well, we, we uh, as I said, we, we are taking advantage of, of, of this new relationship that we have with China now. And uh, we, we're hoping that um, our economic ties with China will, will help both our countries. Um, uh, and as I said, China is a reality today. Uh, they are an economic power. And um, all countries have to accept that. We all accept that. The United States does. And, and so uh, the only way that... Uh, that we could achieve a really peace in the area is to to take all these initiatives coming from China. Uh, some of us are saying that these initiatives are, are are there's always an agenda, but I guess in everything there's always an agenda. But the the, the ultimate agenda should be is that we all cooperate and, and then there's prosperity for all, and and that's what we're we're looking at uh, in in these types of initiatives that are being done by uh, China today. Yes, Mr. Busa. Hi, Sunny Busa, former diplomat, military officer. Is there any truth to the rumor that Phil Amsing and need visas to go to the U.S.? Uh, well, that's a rumor that uh, is not true, but uh, it could be. It could, it could be true. Uh, hopefully, not. Uh, as you know, there's been a little bit of um, uh, yes confusion to a certain effect. But uh, as I said. Uh, this recent uh, move uh, resolution that was filed by uh, several senators in the U.S. Congress uh, actually precipitated uh, all these moves or this talk about visas being uh, required of, uh, of Americans going to the Philippines. But uh, I, I think we've managed that quite well. That Right now, I, I think there's no need for any of these things, and, and, and we will continue to um, dialogue with many of those uh, senators that uh, have... Uh, these concerns about uh, about the Philippines today. So uh, these are just 
for us, we look at this as issues that we face, but at the same time, it's not very helpful for our relationship when we have uh, U.S. legislators um, telling us uh, what to do in terms of, especially with the, with the serious uh, drug situation that we're fighting in the Philippines today. Yes, sir. Hi. Um, Augustus Salzona, former uh, senior foreign policy advisor to the Trump for President campaign. Uh, first off, congratulations on at least the uh, effectiveness uh, of your war on drugs in the Philippines. Uh, second, uh, congratulations on keeping uh, same-sex marriage from becoming law. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is this, uh, looking forward for the Philippines, and I, I mean this in the most positive way, uh, are there, beyond Duterte, just moving forward with the Philippine government, Philippine governance, and the very wise move of having a degree of separation from the former uh, colonial masters and even some of the Western powers. Um, the um, what is are the, is like are there general plans or a general at least a sort of group of directions to sort of shall we say just like here in the U.S. where we want to those of us supporters of the president want to make America great again. I'm thinking, thinking about myself as, as an immigrant here from the Philippines, long ties there. Uh, what about plans to make the Philippines great again? Perhaps that should be something that uh, the current administration and uh, the, the people in charge over there should be thinking about. Well, thank, first of all, thank you for uh, for your comments, especially on our drug war in the Philippines. Um, uh, well, I, our policy today, and, and, and this is this is emphasized by President Duterte, is the number of Filipinos that we have all over the world. They're actually our best ambassadors. And as I mentioned, Filipino-Americans here in the United States, like yourself, are, are well appreciated. We believe that we're very proud of all of you. And um, so it is very important for us to have an independent policy in a way that would also be on our national interests, and that is to protect many of our workers, especially in other parts of the world, like especially in the Middle East. So that, in effect, is why we see uh, the importance of having good relations with all the countries all over the world. In fact, we do have workers in Iran. We have workers in Iraq. And, uh, of course, when something as serious as what happened recently, our main concern will be the workers that we have in those parts of the world. So, and if we have uh, good relations with them, we're hoping that uh, the governments in those countries will protect our workers. That is the essence of why President Duterte, and in fact, that's the reason why his, um, uh, his approval rating is, is very high up to today, because he's concerned is for the Filipino worker. And that is what makes our country great, is that we have a lot of good workers all over the world that are appreciated. And although we would like to see our country to have uh, more economic uh, development that will now allow them to have a choice 
and, and working in the Philippines or working outside. Uh, that is the, the main goal. And I think we, we're, we're moving towards that direction. And uh, everyone knows that the election of President Duterte was not expected. Uh, his, his, his election, an overwhelming victory, was because of the fact that it is now a changing world. And uh, we have, uh, we have uh, people that are now looking at leaders that will do good for, them, uh, for the majority of the people rather than for the few. So, and I think that that, in essence, is what we would like to have as our goal. And that's the only way to achieve that is through the democratic process of an election. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for coming. My name is Mitsuo Nakai Reagan Foundation. Uh, I have a couple of questions. Uh, number one, I heard the rumor. Uh, it, it's only, I'm hoping it's only rumor. President Duterte is, is or used to be a communist uh, when he was in Mindanao, which I don't know. Maybe you can verify that. Number two, uh, speaking of uh, South China Sea, the uh, Spratly Islands, do they, when you, when you look at the history years and years back, does it belong to the Philippines or Vietnam or, or Taiwan? I want to know that. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty important to me. Uh, so those are the two questions that I have. Thank you. Okay. Oh, number three. Um, is uh, Philippines and Japan trade relations, are they improving or still made not so good? If you can comment on that, I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Well, your first question uh, was President Duterte a communist. Well, I'll tell you, I, um, when I was in school, I, I used to join a lot of demonstrations myself. Uh, uh, and we were called left-leaning uh, communists at that time. And believe it or not, I was demonstrating against the Marcos administration, which I'm related to them in one way or the other. But, uh, and I, I think that President Duterte uh, has socialist leanings in a way, because like I said, his strong belief is really for the, for the, for the marginalized people in, in, in the country. And that's what he did in, in Davao, uh, in Mindanao. He really believes very strongly about um, helping uh, those that uh, need it the most. And, um, well, let me just tell you a story. Uh, this is uh, something that I'd like to share with all of you. You know, um, um, before I came uh, to the United States, I, I was really not very keen about uh, taking on this job because I'm on my sort of like last year to retire. And I know that there were quite a number of problems, uh, issues involved in it. But I, I decided to go ahead anyway because I believe that President Duterte then was uh, doing what was best for the country. Um, and I saw in him the real nationalism that he has, and, and this is why i answering your question, your first question about him being communists, is I saw this when, uh, if you remember the Balangiga bells that were returned recently, uh, it was returned um, and we sort of like helped put his speech together uh, by the United States uh, last year. 
And when we were there to see the ceremony, um, he just simply brushed aside his aid in reading his speech. And I said, oh my God, is he going to say something else that's not going to be good? Or Because we prepared a speech thanking the American people and everything like that. So we're hoping that he was going to read it, but it looked like he wasn't. But then he took to the speech and he read it. And we were all very happy. And I said, wow, I took care of that one. But we followed him into the um, to the rotonda where there was a memorial for those Filipinos that were killed in, in, in that uh, Phil-American war. And he started to touch the names of the people who were actually, um, who died in that, about 128 Filipinos, including uh, um, young children, 10 years old. And I was just watching him and we were just, just me and, Secretary of Defense, and um, he was just looking, and when he turned around, he had a tear in his eye. And I said, this man's for real. I think he is uh, sincere in what he's trying to do for the country. And I said that um, this is really what we need now, is somebody who loves, like just, I'm sure you all want to have leaders that love your country, and so do we. So that's why uh, him being uh, considered a left-leaning person is, is maybe a misnomer. He is a nationalist. Now, in your question about the Spratleys, well, uh, we all know what's happening right now. Everybody's claiming uh, what's theirs, what's yours is mine, what's mine is mine. Uh, so we don't know. Uh, but uh, again, the only way that we can really uh, resolve those issues is, is if, and I think our, um, our strategy is to get all the ASEAN nations, especially those that are claiming that uh, those parts of those spratlies uh, get together and, and, and really come as a group to be able to to resolve the issues. And then uh, just very recently, we, we signed an agreement with Indonesia, for instance. We have, uh, we have overlapping uh, claims to the area. So that's where we're going in that, uh, in that issue. Now, Japan and the Philippines, I was just telling the uh, Japanese ambassador in the Philippines that you are very lucky because this is probably the best time that we've ever had in terms of our relationship with Japan today. Um, Japan has been very good to us. President Duterte has been to Japan at least three times. Um, he wasn't supposed to go to the the uh, the emperor, uh, the new emperor, but he went anyway. And and, and many other things that are happening uh, with our relationship, and it's 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 a very good one. And, and as I as I told the uh, Japanese ambassador, uh, we are now at our best. Relationship that uh, with with it's amazing at how where we were uh, after World War II and where we are today. That relationship, I would even venture to say that it's probably almost as close as we are with the United States. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Good afternoon. My name is Ava Avila, and I'm a researcher. Um, you spoke about how the importance of how uh, the importance of ASEAN and its unity what are you looking for in the Vietnamese chairmanship to maintain ASEAN's unity and centrality 
Well, as I've said, um, our our goal in the ASEAN is to keep that uh, tight relationship that we have. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, obviously we're very close uh, to the ASEAN ambassadors here in Washington, D.C. We regularly meet, and, and that's what, uh, uh, th that is what uh, the ASEAN is all about, is that we, and then the way we even uh, put out our votes sometimes, uh, I'm told anyway, I've not really attended any of this uh, <clears throat> uh, foreign minister's meetings, but whenever one does not agree, all he has to do is just leave the room and everybody will not agree. In other words, the consensus is always uh, unanimous. So that's why uh, we feel that this unity is, is, is good, not only for the region, but it's also good for the United States because there is that centrality. We could be, in fact, really in between this uh, so-called footsteps of the Cold War between the United States and China. So. That to me is, is probably uh, the best role that uh, the ASEAN can do in terms of uh, economic development of the area and also the relationships with the West today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Hank Hendrickson with the US Philippine Society. Thanks to the Institute, Ambassador, thank you. Just to follow up on all this, question in your uh, comments about ASEAN centrality. We understand there's going to be a meeting of ASEAN leaders uh, hosted by the uh, U.S. government. And I was wondering if you could preview, in a way, if that is in fact going to happen, more specifically the agenda, what the ASEANs would hope to get out of a meeting with our leadership here, and, and what the U.S. is looking for uh, with ASEAN collectively and perhaps uh, with respect to your country as well. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that question, uh, Hank. Um, well, as a matter of fact, I just spoke to our Secretary of Foreign Affairs this morning, and he had just uh, they had just finished their meeting in Da Nang, in Vietnam, both the foreign, foreign ministers. And uh, uh, there is a uh, unanimous consensus that all the ASEAN nations will attend uh, this invitation of President Trump for a, um, an ASEAN-US summit. Um, I think that uh, this, this only, again, emphasizes uh, what we've been saying, that uh, the United States uh, plays a role in Asia, but at the same time, ASEAN plays also that role in making sure that there is a balance between the two, uh, two powers in that part of the world, China and the United States. And so, um, as far as I know, the summit is, is is going to take place uh, now. It's a question now of uh, the timing of the leaders that will be able to make it. And I think, as of now, I, I'm quite certain that there will be a large majority of the ASEAN leaders will be able to attend that summit. And and I guess this is also um, it's also important that we do this because, as you know, uh, President Trump was not able to attend uh, two of the ASEAN uh, meetings that we've had in the last two years. Uh, last one was in Manila in 2017. So this is, this is really very important that we, we have this, uh, again, uh, to, uh, to emphasize the, the role that uh, the ASEAN plays, the centrality that it has uh, in, in Asia today. Thank, uh, join me in thanking the ambassador once again.
And that concludes our event. Uh, I'm sure some of us you know, can stick around. I'm not sure how much time the ambassador has, but uh, he and some of the embassy staff will be here for at least a few minutes. We'll talk to them a little bit more. Thank you.